But um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, please. to 14. This is what it says. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children. I love his endearment. I love his He's writing to the church, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And John, in this moment of, many say, commentators say that this is not so much a letter but as a preach that he was preaching. So there's lots of kind of repetition and cycle. The way, it, the way it's been written indicates that. And so I think he's preaching to the church and he's writing and preaching to children, fathers, and young men, not meaning exclusively males, but males and females, men and women, children, boys and girls. And he writes to these three categories of people. I think there's a couple of ways that you can look at that. I think one of the ways that commentators will say that you, you look at that is to, is to look at it as three levels of maturity. For those that are still young in the faith, maybe physically children, but maybe not just physically children, those that are young in the faith, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He's saying, do you remember those days when you first came to Jesus and you had the freedom of forgiveness. No longer do your sins count against you. No longer does your past hold you back. No longer, no longer does your, your, your weakness and your failures become an obstacle in your path, but rather a place for God to minister so that they become your strengths. Right to you, young children, do you remember those days? Do you understand those days of when Jesus came and forgave you? And we live with the amazement of, of forgiveness and this relationship with God that wasn't paid for by us, but paid for by Him. It was His initiative. He became the one that paid the price. He became the one that reached out to us. He became the one that actually came and said, I need to do something. I was saying to the men, we were talking about ownership and responsibility of a man. And how God took ownership of this planet. He didn't wait for somebody else to come with a solution. He wasn't the problem, people were. But he still owned it and said, I will do something about this. And the son said, well, you taking ownership, Father, I will take responsibility for them. And he went and came to us. And he died a death that we should have died. He lived a life that we could never live on our behalf so that we can be free. That's what ownership and responsibility looks like. It's not about being right. It's about being own, owning, taking hold of your family or taking hold of the thing that God's put in your care and being responsible for it. 
which means you take care of it, which means you pay the price, which means you acknowledge your weakness and failures, you take responsibility for your own stuff. But then you come with a solution. And he says this, remember, remember this moment when Jesus, when God the Father sent his son so that you could be free. That's the first level of maturity. Then he writes to the fathers and mothers. He says, I'm writing to you fathers and mothers, parents, because you, you know him who was from the beginning. You knew him who was from the beginning. You got to know him. You've lived enough of life and experienced enough of God. You've got some history with God that is irreplaceable. You, you, can't, you can't bypass history. You can't bypass this life lived. I was saying to the men yesterday, it's like God puts a map in our hands. And if you've done a long time, you've got a map with lots of twists and turns and you've got a long map. And if, you, if you're young, you've got a short map. Your map's still been written. It's still lots of, lots of part of the scroll that hasn't been unwound yet because you kind of just got the first bit. And the fathers of the faith, the mothers of the faith are those that have got a long map. And your job is not to look at your map and bring glory to your map. Your job is to share your map with the young people so they don't live the life that you lived and experience the, the weaknesses and failures. You can teach them. Our map can teach the next generation. And he's talking to the fathers and he's saying, Fathers, you've known the Father. You've known the one who is from the beginning. The one that was pre-existent. You've got to know him. You've been with him. You've wrestled with him. In moments of life, you've been disappointed with him because he didn't come through like you wanted him to. And then you've realized, I was speaking to a man yesterday who's trusting God for healing. And he's asking every question, Lord, why have you not healed me yet? I have to say to him, I don't know why the Lord hasn't healed you yet. I believe in healing. I believe Jesus has the power to heal. I know this that you will be healed one day, whether it's before you pass to be with him or through your passing to be with him, you will be healed. But I don't understand this now. But one thing I do know, I don't want to live a life bitter with God and disappointed with God. I want to live a life thankful for God with everything he is doing, not only looking at what he's not doing, looking at everything he has done, not just what he hasn't done, and giving that away. But keep trusting God for healing until the day you go to be with Him. These fathers and mothers have a deep spiritual walk. They, they're founded. They're, they're deep. They've got something. Can I just say, if you've come to faith old, older years, in your older years, dig quickly. But just because you're old, it doesn't mean you've got a deep faith. You've heard of the term, I've used it before, man-ager. You know what a man-ager is? It's the same as a teenager. It's like a, a teenager. You know what a teenager is? A man-ager is a teenager that's in a man's body. It's called a man-ager. Actually babies, but they've got big bodies. We don't want to be that. We want to have a deep-founded relationship with God. 
And we want to go as deep as fast possible, as quickly as possible. You've got to walk with God, this walk with God that didn't come overnight. It came with many years. You've got scars. You've got wounds. Speaks to the fathers. Then he speaks to the young men or the young women. You see, these guys are no longer little children. They're not just rejoicing in their salvation. They've learned to fight battles. And the first part of the thing, he says, you have overcome the evil one. He speaks to the young people and says, you've overcome. One of the great struggles of, of, of the younger generation now is to overcome the evil one. And it's so everywhere in your hand when you go to bed at night with a cell phone and when you wake up with a cell phone it's like it's so invasive and so intrusive but these young people have learned to overcome the evil one learning to win battles don't despise learning to win a battle it's part of the experience of life it's what the fathers and mothers can teach you They've had moments where they didn't know where the money for rent was coming. And God has come through. They've had moments where relationships have gone bad and God's come through. They've had moments when they've lost jobs or not, not sure about what's going and God has come through. And they've learned to walk with that. Speak to them. Ask them. Let, let them share their map with you. You see, these young people are the front line of what God is doing. You know, you don't send your children and your old people to war. You send your young people to war. Learn to fight battles. Get battle-hardened so that they can begin to teach the next generation as they get older. The greatest effort and the greatest cost and the greatest strength are expected of these young men and women. Can I just speak to parents? I read about this term this week. You heard the helicopter parent, eh? You know what that is, helicopter parent. Helicopter parent is, is somebody that dances around and micromanages every moment of, of their children's life. But generally it's actually out of fear because they don't know what's gonna happen so they think they can control their children and they're running around and they're dancing around their children. Helicopter parents. There's a, new, there's a new term that's come out now. It's called the snowplow plow parent. Snowplow parent. What the snowplow parent is a little bit similar to helicopter, but a bit different. A snowplow parent goes ahead of their children and creates a path so that they can walk um, easy in life. That's the parent that always knows that at school their child is always right and the teacher is always wrong. can't be Johnny. He's such an angel. It must be you, teacher, that's wrong. You've got an issue with my child. And so we take out the teacher. Whatever it might be. But what we're doing, now listen, everybody wants to prepare a future for their children. But friends, 
Eventually, when you're not there to prepare the road for them and they hit real life and have to overcome and persevere and fight battles, they've got no tools in their hands. These young men and young women are fighting battles and learning to win battles. Then he goes back to the children again. He says, children, not just about sins forgiven, but you know the Father. Look what it says there. See the first part there? He says, he says um, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven, on account of his name, I'm writing to you, children, because of your sin, sins that are forgiven. In verse 14, it says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. You see, now the children, it's not about just being saved. It's not just about being uh, kind of got your barcode and I'm going to heaven. It's got nothing. No, you, now the journey is to know the Father so that you can become an old person, a, a father or mother that has a deep knowing and understanding of the Father. He says, we're writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. You're getting to know the Father. You're processing life. You, you understand your sins are forgiven, but now you're pressing into the Father to understand Him more. And He says to the fathers and the mothers again, I write to you because you've known the one who is from the beginning. The repetition of that line just outlines the importance of that thing with the mothers and fathers. And then he goes back to the young men and he says this, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Again, the repetition of you've overcome the evil one. It's this battle that young people have to fight. I'm so aware of the battles that our young people are fighting. I can't fight them for them, but we can help them fight the battle. We can give them the tools. We can give them the encouragement. We can give them the love. We can come alongside them and help them and hold their hands up so that they can fight the battles. You've overcome the evil one. And the way they've overcome it, he says, is you've got the word of God which has given you strength. See these levels of maturity, this, these young people are fighting battles, they're on the, the cutting edge of what God is doing, and God is putting the word of God into them. Friends, 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 we've got to get the word of God into us. It gives us strength to overcome. When you get... Everything knocked out of you. What remains in you is what you have of the word of God. And that becomes your strength. God's word is a, is a source of strength. And look what he says there. He says, because you, the word of God lives in you, abides in you. It's going back to John chapter 15 the, about the vine and how we abide in him. And when we learn to abide in him, we become fruitful. We bear fruit, much fruit, everlasting, lasting fruit. It's the same idea. We abide in the word of God. We abide in Jesus, who is the word. But we abide in the Bible. We abide in the words of God so that our strength can come and we can begin to overcome the evil one. So he's talking to these groups. 
those that are rejoicing in their sins are forgiven, and those that are, are strong and deep in the Lord because they know in which the, the person in which they stand, they know the Father. And he's talking to these young people that are fighting battles and learning to win battles and learning to overcome and have the Word of God growing inside of them. And they are not succumbing to the deconstruction of the church because somehow in our modern age, we've got something special that the history never had before. A killer app that will make everything better. No, friends, there's no killer app. There's no silver bullet. There's walking with Jesus so close that you get your dust on him, that you can hear his voice, that you can hear his heartbeat. And you do that in community with people. There's no, there's no silver bullet. That's the way it happens. You trust in the gospel to change your life. Trust in the truth of Jesus, the word of Jesus that will set you free. No killer app. These young people have won the battle of sexuality. That's why we're doing Naked Truth. We've got to win the sexuality battle, friends. The world is rampant with poor models of sexuality. If the statistics are right, 63% of the people in this building are addicted to porn. If you go by the stats. I trust it isn't that. I trust it's less than that. Overcoming. He speaks to these three maturity groups. But I think the other way that you can look at this text is to look at it as three generations. You know the stat is this. I was reading it this morning. It's kind of a common stat around all kind of um, economic, I was actually, it was an investing site that I was reading. The first generation that makes the money, by the second generation, the stats are that 70% of those people, 70% of the wealth of the first generation will be lost. By the time it gets to the third generation, that number's 90%. So after the third generation of somebody paying the price and making cash, making money, by the third generation, 90% of that is gone. You see, the first generation of people are those young children, those that are pressing and they're finding God. They've, they're wrestling with God. This church, friend, the first generation of this church used to meet in the Blue Waters Hotel. And before that, they were part of the, 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 the Invisible Church. The reason why it was called the Invisible, because that name gets kind of lost on us, is that there was Catholic doc doctrine that said that the church was the visible church. It was a theological thing. And so these guys, because they're birthed in the hippie, nonconformist era of burning stuff and smoking stuff, they said, no, no, we are the invisible church. And 40 people from that group of people melted together to form Glenridge Christian Fellowship that Chris and Merrill led and planted. I think um, Pam is here. Where's Pam? Put your hand up, Pam. She was there. I think Doug and Sheena are here. They were there. A motley bunch of people 
where they were just so grateful that they were saved, that they could find Jesus and know him, that their sins were forgiven, that they didn't find freedom in the hippie movement, they found freedom in Jesus. They met in the Blue Waters Hotel, and they moved to Parkview School, which is now Glenwood Prep. And then they moved as they grew, and Chris and Meryl grew, and grew, and Chris, and were like, Chris was like 24 years old. And then they moved, and then they moved to, to Glenwood High School. And they called the place Glen Ridge because their vision was so profoundly big for them that they were hoping that they would reach Glen Ridge, Glenwood right up until the ridge, not knowing that this lampstand was put in place to reach the nations, not Glenwood. And from Glenwood High School, they moved to the DLR Hall, which was our, the very first meeting in the DLR Hall was Heather and my first meeting at Glenridge Church, 19, January 1995. Chris Venant was preaching. He was throwing glasses on the floor, shattering them all over the floor. I'm thinking, what is this? In 95, the Toronto blessing hit this church. Glenridge was roaring, jumping up and down like monkeys. It was absolutely off the charts. I'm like thinking, what is this? But one thing I did know as a young person, there was a hunger for Jesus. There was teaching of the word of God. Jesus, the, the scriptures were valued. Everything that was happening, they were trying to wrestle with. We didn't know. We thought the elders knew exactly what was going on. Later on to find out they were clueless about what to do and how to do it. Eventually we were getting shunted around, pillar to post at the DLR hall. Intense meeting at the tent at the back because they were doing Muslim weddings which were giving them more money than what we were paying. And so they put up a permanent tent on grass. A, turn in, a permanent tent on grass became a permanent tent on dust. And when you danced, and when you think dust, get home from church, blow your nose, just black coming out of your nose. The church grew. Until in 1999, this building was built. Standing on this, on this piece of ground before there was a building, on this car park saying, God, will you provide, Lord? Will you help us, Lord? Will you come, Lord? Probably 600 people, most of them students, most of them young people, not many wealthy people, put money together and started to build this building. Moved into this building with a 26-year lease. Who would, that's like an age away. What do you mean, 20 years? I was there. We came into eldership in 2000. God did incredible things. This is the, this is the story. He's, he's talking to these young, these, this generation. God is a generational God. In the church, there needs to be young people, children. There needs to be younger people, and there needs to be older people. It's part of the blessing of God 
in the kingdom of God, in the community of God, that all parts exist and coexist and honor and respect and learn from and rejoice with each other. September this year, that little group of people of 40 people in 1983, 40 years later become us. And we stand at the precipice of, at the end of a long lease, saying, God, where to now? That, friends, is an honor and a privilege. Because you see, what will happen is, God is not a snowplow parent. He doesn't go ahead and prepare the way. He wants every generation to learn to fight battles. And those that have the, fought the battle for putting this building up in 1999 and the years preceding that, God's going to ask you again to sacrifice and pay the price for the next building and for the next future because there's more young children coming and there's no, more, more children coming and there's more young people coming and there's more older people. Those of us that were the younger people then are now the older people now. And we continue because we know the Father. We know the Father. We know the goodness of God. We know the provision of God. We know the love of God. We know that this God does good. This God is good. This God provides. This God goes ahead. The reason why, friends, the second generation loses 70% and by the third generation it's 90% is that the first generation understands they pay the price, the sacrifice, the cost, the everything, just from having nothing. You, you started a business and you did it from your garage or from your, your own kitchen or whatever it is. And your children are watching this and they're seeing this and they're seeing the price and they're seeing God bless and they're seeing this moment of you creating a business. And then they get to the age where they get passed on to them. They have a semblance of, I understood the sacrifice. And so I've got to, I've got to keep hold. I've got to keep this thing. When I grew up, when you grow up, when, you, when you're just starting the business, you don't have much. You're learning. You, God's increasing you. You don't, you don't get, I've got everything. But by the time it gets to the third generation, the children of the second generation have everything. Have, they've lost sight of the sacrifice, the cost. And what God will do in a community, in a church, is He will take us through cycles, decades, 40 years upon 40 years, and make sure that every generation knows the Father will know the Father. And part of that is paying the price, taking hold of, understanding we don't live for ourselves. It's an incredible thing. Friend. God is a God of generations. God is a God of generations. And I delight to watch these little girls. I was watching them today. And then a little Fasaki boy comes in and he also wants a ribbon and he's wrestling with and he's like. I love the fact that we've got young men and women that are passionate for Jesus. I love the fact that we've got older men and women that know their father. 
Although their energy has dropped, their passion for Jesus keeps on increasing. Their prayer life is powerful. Their presence is powerful. Where are you on that continuum? It's incredibly daunting to be at the change of a, this is, we are, this is the third generation in many respects. We are the third generation. Most, a lot of people have only known this building as Glenridge Church. But I know this, God is so committed to his people, and God is so committed to his church, that he will make us battle-hardened no matter what. Because we've got a world to win. We've got ground to take. And when you take ground, it means dispossessing the evil one. Taking ground doesn't come without a cost. Taking ground means you've got to take it away from somebody. And the evil one is saying, I want all the ground. And God is saying, no, everything's mine. Church, go and get it. I'm with you. I'm for you. You know your sins are forgiven. You're getting to know the Father and I'm teaching you to win battles. That's where we stand right now. We can take up the challenge and step into this new generation at 40 years old as a church. Thank God for the history, but thank God even more for the incredible future where some of your unborn grandchildren will worship in this community of people and continue the legacy of God moving. I don't expect churches to close down after a generation or two. In fact, the health of a church can really only be judged when there's been a transition of leadership. How healthy is it to go to the next generation and to keep going? We've had four changes of leadership in this church. And we're coming out strong. Father, I ask you, as we drank of your blood and ate of your body this morning, Lord, that you would profoundly deepen our hearts with you, Lord. I pray that Father, that you would show yourself to the young children so that they might get to know you. I pray, Lord God, that you would equip, train, help, encourage the young men and women, Lord God, that have got a battle to fight. I pray that they would win their battles. So that their children can be born in victory, not in defeat. Help them win the truth battle. Help them win the sexuality battle. Help them win every battle that comes at them in this age. I pray for the older people, Lord. Those that have been around for a while. I pray they would not get cynical and grumpy. 
but they would be excited about what you are doing in this place. And they'd put their shoulder behind everything that you are doing, Lord God. I pray, Lord. Help them to share their maps with the younger people. Lord, you're doing something in our day, Lord. We're crying out to you for revival, Lord. But revival doesn't come in a vacuum. It comes in and through your people to the nations. Revive the young people. Revive the older young men and women. Revive the older men and women, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Strengthen us. Remind us of how good you are. And as we head into this next season, I pray our maturity would increase and our impact and influence would increase, Lord. That, Father, those, that the word Glenridge would become too small a word for us. It's not just about Glenwood and the Ridge. It's the nations of the earth. Help us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We depend on you. We trust you for everything, Lord. In your incredible name, amen.